Welcome to the Soul Podcast. Great stories, tough issues, grace in the real world. Soul is a production of Through the Word. That's the intro. Time for the show. So let's get to it. You've got to hear this story. Welcome to the Soul Podcast. Great stories, tough issues, and grace in the real world. Well, I'm inviting you back to my little makeshift studio here at the E10 Summit, Every Tribe, Every Nation. And I'm inviting you to enjoy some stories about one of the greatest works going on in our world today. The translation of God's word into every language in the world is something unprecedented and absolutely phenomenal. Now, along with that larger story, the the individual human stories that go with it are absolutely fascinating to me. So I want to introduce you to one of those fascinating humans and uh, and somebody who's become a good friend, Randall Lemley with The Seed Company. Randall, welcome to the studio. Thanks, Chris. Looking forward to having some time together again. You've got some stories. We're actually going to jump right into it. You work with The Seed Company. Tell me very quickly, what is The Seed Company So and what you do? But then I want to jump right into your stories. Yeah. Seed Company is a, a Bible translation organization. We creatively network God's people to bring scripture into minority languages for life transformation. And what do you do with the Seed Company? Yeah, I am focused on a, a growth initiative with the Seed Company, a new way of doing Bible translation where we take audio as our source and we record audio scripture for people that don't have alphabets and literacy would be a challenge for them. We call it oral Bible translation. Okay, we're going to jump into what that means in a little bit, but I like to start with a good story. So I want to ask you to, to share a story of Bible translation. Bible translation, there's a lot to it. It's been going on for, for many centuries, of course. But, uh, but give us a story in, uh, from the Seed Company, from some of your work. Tell us about uh, a story of Bible translation actually happening. What comes to mind is a, uh, a translation that's happening, uh, in, and I can't name the country because it is um, a place where the majority religion uh, has control in the government. But there are five languages that are simultaneously translating the book of Luke and Jesus film to become available in their communities. Uh, one of those languages is a displaced language from China uh, where some people were pushed out of their homeland in China about 150 years ago, made their way to this country, and now there's a significant population there. And their language has shifted quite a bit from the way it's spoken in China and also in Taiwan. And there's a need for uh, a, a translation of scripture that's understandable for them. The work in, in this particular language, a, a cluster project with five languages, most of them uh, local, uh, this one being a, a language from China with different challenges and dynamics and how translation is going to work. It started with oral Bible storytelling. So taking compelling stories out of scripture that address needs in the, the local culture and getting those into the language in a way that's easily told and can be replicated uh, in, in groups and casual, familiar ways of doing it as well as in, in church services. Taking that approach, uh, they were looking at what language was, would participate and the local pastor realized that he had a neighbor that spoke this Chinese language and they added this language at the last minute and his next door neighbor was a speaker of the language and he invited her to become a part of the translation team. I'm going to say her name is Anna for the, the sake of our, our story here. Uh, Anna's a housewife. Uh, she was a, a, a practicing Buddhist, but she thought it'd be interesting to get some things in her language, and she agreed to participate. And about a third of the way through the, the set of stories that they were working on about the person of Christ from uh, the book of Luke, she came to faith, and she approached the people who were uh, facilitating the, the translation project and, and said, I, I need to be baptized. Uh, she picked that up from interaction with the stories. So new believer, the only believer in her family, uh, involved in a work that was nurturing her new believing soul 
and they completed the, the, the storying project and had the stories and were starting to share them uh, through the community. And the next step was to then go into the translation of the, the Gospel of Luke with plans to do the Jesus film, which is based on the Gospel of Luke uh, for that language. When they pulled the language translation team together for, for her language, uh, she was the only one that spoke the language well. They had somebody that was very committed, but um, to be honest, was not somebody that you would trust to do a good job of translating because they were a little bit peripheral to the, uh, the main version of the spoken language. And so she was the one that really the work was landing on. Uh, and she was starting to get discouraged. I, I went there uh, for the first time two years ago. And I was going there to, to look at the possibility of doing oral Bible translation with this team who was doing uh, text-based translation. And she was discouraged. Her husband was critical of her involvement in the translation project because it was taking her away from the home. She was the only one in the team that would show up consistently to do the work. And uh, privately, she, she said that she was thinking this would be her last workshop to participate. And so when I was talking with the, the, uh, the translation team leadership about the potential to do an oral Bible translation instead of the written translation, and I'll get into later why we were thinking about doing that, I said the approach to translation doesn't matter with this group because we don't have a strong team to work with. If you don't have a strong team in the language, you can't do good translation. And I said, we need to address that. Fast forward, uh, six months later, the, the team made the decision that for this particular language in this cluster project, they would take the step of going straight into Jesus' film script translation and setting Luke aside because of the problems that they were having. With that kind of prospect of a video being available for the church to use, the church got excited about the translation work in this language. And they uh, not only offered their facility to, for the translation to happen, but they also came up with some additional people to help with the translation. And so they, things moved forward. The Jesus film script was translated well. And when it came time to, to record, they were having a tough time coming up with probably the most important voice in the Jesus film, the voice of Jesus. And they were late one, you know, recording team was getting ready to come in to, to dub the Jesus film and time was running out for them to come up with who's going to be the voice of Jesus. And at this point, she was in a spot where for two weeks, her husband had not spoken to her because of tension over her involvement in this project. Wow. So, so she's got the tension of, of, of home, which anybody in ministry is familiar with this tension. Home and ministry will always be a, a challenge to, to keep in balance. And for somebody brand new walking with the Lord. And now you need the right voice for Jesus. I didn't even thought about that. As you record the, the Jesus film, whose who's voice, it's not like you've got a, a selection of local voice actors to, to choose from for the voice of Jesus. Okay, so what happens? So they're having this meeting late one evening. Who's going to be Jesus? And they turned to her and they said, you know, your husband has a good voice. Would he consider being Jesus? And, and, and she said, uh, you know, things aren't going well between us right now. You can ask him. So it's 10 o'clock at night and they went to her house knocked on the door, sat down with him and said, we would like for you to consider being a part of this and you being the voice of Jesus. Would you come in the morning and do a, an audition and, and we'll do an audio recording and evaluate how this is going to work. So the next morning uh, he comes uh, in that culture. It's difficult to say no when somebody invites you into something like this. And so there's a, an obligation to follow through. So, with the obligation, he followed through, and he was not a happy husband. And the, the first bit of audition that they gave to test his ability to do this, they wanted to, to get a, a calibration for how he could do something that had emotion. And they gave him Jesus driving the moneylenders out of the temple. And I said, give us your best angry Jesus. 
And this guy had no problem doing angry at that point in time. So he got the role. As long as you can do angry Jesus, we'll hope that gracious Jesus will come in. You can cover that later, but at least we'll get this part down. Well, uh, real quick, step aside and tell us what Jesus film is. So for those who who aren't familiar, because it's a fantastic work, it's not directly part of the seed company. That's a partnership. So, so real quickly, step out of that story and tell me about Jesus film. Sure. Jesus film uh, is an initiative underneath uh, crew uh, that has been going for a number of years it is a dramatization of the life of Jesus that's drawn directly from Scripture. Uh, 70% of the book of Luke is represented in, in a film that was professionally done, and uh, the script is lip-synced with the actors. Uh, the first time I encountered the Jesus film, I was working with Apple Computer and carried some uh, used Apple equipment to a translation team working in the east end of London, and they were working with uh, a language community out of Bangladesh. Complex scripts, so they needed Macintosh computers to be able to work with this script. And I, you know, on the side, wanted to help out missionaries, so I carried some over to them. They were in the process of doing the Jesus film in that language. And when they were testing it in an apartment with a few people that spoke the language, one of the people watching it said, I didn't realize we had actors of this quality in our language because the lip sync makes it look like it's someone who speaks the language actually uh it, it brings the, the the gospel alive in a way like this is our people who did it in english we're used to movies being in our language but in in many language most languages it is a very big thing to have a movie in your language. So when that movie, that one movie in your language happens to be about Jesus, it's a pretty big deal. And Jesus Film Project goes all over the world and and now providing those on, on cell phones so that missionaries and everyday Christians can share the Jesus Film. It's pretty incredible stuff. I'm going to, there's a whole lot of story that I could tell there and pretty good story, but I want to, I want to get back and, and talk a little bit about how the, the local church in uh, in that story, how does it, how does a local? What's the importance of the local church getting involved in the translation project? Because because I, I think that many people listening might be surprised to hear that it's not just a, a couple of uh, Westerners who travel over and and sit over books and and bring consultants in and translate. Tell me about how the local church becomes part of that. Yeah, so there are uh, two ways that that immediately come to mind. One is that. The way that translation typically works today is that uh, the Western help is more uh, facilitating the translation as, as opposed to doing the translation. The experts in translation are the people that speak the language. And so we come in with tools that help them do a good job of translating into their own language. And the local church is often the source of those translators. Uh, now, of course, there are some parts of the world where the church does not exist. And so we look for the closest expression. There are places where the people doing the translation of Scripture are not believers. And at times they come to faith through that interaction with the Word. That's, think about that. That's a deep interaction. As you consider word by word, phrase by phrase, sentence by sentence, what does this mean? And think how deeply you would have to interact with Scripture if you took the time to really break it down and, and consider what does, what does this verse mean how powerful is scripture just upon reading for us? It's a fantastic process to be a part of. And and the involvement of local church, well, well tell us about the involvement of local church in this case, in this story. The church where this cluster of, of, of languages was doing translation actually exists in a neighborhood in a large city in this country. Uh, and they, the pastor had been pondering the idea of, of in what way should they be involved in the evangelization of their region? And again, they're in a, a spot where they are a minority with a majority language or majority religion around them. And he had made a trip to another uh, part of the country and seen Bible translation in action and said, this is something we could help with. So it happened that at that time, they had outgrown their building and they were going through a capital campaign similar to the way we do it sometimes here in America, raising money for a new building. And uh, in the case of this group, 
not a lot of people with money, but one man in the congregation who had made a significant amount of money in uh, uh, palm oil and uh, and the, the sale of palm oil worldwide. And he said, I'll underwrite the cost of the new building, but I've got three strings attached. The first string is that uh, worship is something our God is worthy of. And I want this building to be a place where authentic worship happens and where we train people for worship. And you know, that resonates with most of us who are part of a, a believing church. He said, second, um, you need to commit to me that you're going to consistently teach the biblical principle of giving. He said, it's not because we need a lot of money. God's got money. But I don't want people in this church to miss the joy that I have of taking what's mine and giving it for what God's doing in the earth. He said, the third thing is, this church needs to be a facility that is being leveraged for the evangelization, the completion of God's great commission for our region. And that's what set the pastor on this path of trying to figure out what does that mean for, they were already supporting uh, local evangelists that were going out into uh, remote areas. It's not like this was a new thing for them, but he, his, he felt like God was saying, there's something else that I want you materially involved in. And when he saw this translation work happening, uh, he said, that's something we can do. And they changed the design of the building in response to that. When he came back and said, this is something I think we could make a material contribution to this, they said, well, how can we do it? And he said, well, our building could be the host facility for this. They actually decided to, to change the design of the building to be able to be a facility where translation projects could effectively be carried out. So a sanctuary that would be multi-use where they could bring in tables and uh, be set up for multiple teams to work on translation simultaneously. They completely redid the second floor of the building to be dormitory so that translation teams could come in from remote areas and they could stay at the church. And that's pretty fascinating to me. And th this is one of the things that really challenges me, my own view of what Bible translation looks like. I picture Bible translation in a small village with fascinating different cultures, but very small group. We're, we're in a big city. And, and even is, is, is the, the language that is, is that language spoken actually in the big city? Are, are there people in big cities around the world that actually speak a language that doesn't have a Bible. Yeah, and, and it's it's playing out something that happened in our own country a, a few generations back where people want economic opportunity and the cities are the place where that opportunity exists. And so there are people from a lot of diverse language backgrounds that come into this melting pot of the big city. Now, typically with the translation teams, our objective is to get people from the villages because they speak the pure form of the language uh, and they're going to be the best ones to do the translation but we typically do the work in a city or large town where we have things like hopefully reliable electricity internet access uh, decent food people can stay healthy while they're doing the translation Plumbing. I think, I think if somebody is considering this job, they might want some some plumbing. Is really that's probably my wife's number one. If I'm going to go, is there indoor plumbing? Yeah. So another part of this church's commitment to translation is that we have people who come in to consult alongside the translation to help these teams be successful. Who typically fly in from Western countries, and there are members of this congregation who invite the Westerners into their home. I personally had a master bedroom that was vacated so that I would have a real bed and an air conditioner in a spot where an air conditioner is a dear commodity and where it really does help me be effective the next day to be able to do something worthwhile. Um, so they redesigned their building. They put a kitchen next door so they could uh, do meals for the translation teams and uh, we call that a host partner. Um, 
in the Bible translation world. A, a local church might provide facilities. They provide uh, local staffing to manage the translation work. They also help find the people they're good candidates to be translators, uh, to be a part of the team. And most importantly, they're the ones that have a sense for what is the Holy Spirit doing in these minority language communities and how is translation going to make a difference, even what part of the Bible needs to be translated to have immediate impact. So what's fascinating about all this is that Bible translation is primarily then a work of local churches. In fact, there are are churches that, that have have church family, that have genuine believers in languages where the Bible is not yet translated. Now, most of those people have been reached through somebody translating through and through communicating the, the words of the Bible in another language. So they're already believers. There are churches who are, are asking, can, can we get the word in, in our language so that we can reach more, so that we can be spoken to in, in our heart language? And it's local churches communicating, but we have the opportunity as a, as a people group that has lots of Bible. We have a, an opportunity to facilitate, to, to provide tools, to provide guidance, to, to provide help, to equip them to do it more effectively, to get a more accurate translation and to, to get that done faster and to, to distribute. So what really what we are doing is facilitating and helping a work that they're asking for and that they, that the local church is doing that work. Now, I've got to get back to what what happened to angry Jesus? <laughs> what happened to the husband? Are, are we going to get back to that story? Or you, you want to get your story first and come back to that one? So uh, let let's tell a little bit about my journey, uh, how I landed in this place to have the the pleasure uh, to to hear uh, what God's doing in in this family. Uh, my own background: uh, I grew up with the Word of God had a mom that did backyard Bible clubs uh, when I was a youngster in Amarillo, Texas, and grew up with uh, taking for granted the truth of, of stories from the Bible. I was also given a, an active brain and uh, in, in junior high got to the point where church and Bible wasn't that relevant for me and began to make excuses why I didn't want to participate. So as an early overachiever, uh, I got to a spot where uh, scripture to me was like poetry. And most guys in middle school don't think poetry is a great thing. <laughs> it, you know, something that people would, would talk about to help themselves feel good, maybe a little bit of sentimental stuff going on around it. And uh, it, I'd start tuning out. I was editor of the school newspaper and uh, we had a guy come from Sunset Strip uh, to Texas. And that, at that time, Sunset Strip was the epicenter of hippies. And I wanted a story in the paper about this guy who was preaching in Sunset Strip to all the hippies. And, uh, and now my reporters would do it. And so kind of out of spite, I said, I'm going to go and uh, participate in these meetings that he's having in our church, in our, excuse me, in our school over the weekend and get a story out of it. Little did I know that this, the main story was going to be that I was gonna be arrested by the Holy Spirit by the words highlighting that Jesus is the boss, the Lordship of Jesus, and it forever changed my life. I thought that uh, I would go straight into some sort of cross-cultural work, uh, but uh, as things unfolded, uh, I found myself uh, in office automation, in aerospace at the time when personal computers were just coming into the workplace. So IBM PCs, uh, uh, Apple uh, leases, the predecessor of the Macintosh. And we were figuring out how to do things that had never been done uh, with, with technology before uh, and things you couldn't go to school to learn. Uh, so I was in aerospace, served the Lord there for uh, six years until peace broke out everywhere. Uh, defense contracts began to plummet. And uh, around that time, Apple Computer approached me and asked me to become a part of their enterprise support team. Uh, and I served the Lord inside of Apple Computer for seven years. And uh, until Steve Jobs came back and uh, 
there was no longer room for my team. And then I went into technology consulting with Fortune 500 country, companies and did that until the dot-com bust. And it was about that time that I had the opportunity to join Wycliffe Bible Translators. All along, I've been looking for ways to get involved in missions, and I was always doing it from the sidelines, enjoyably. Partnered with some great people and continue to partner with those people out of the resources that God gave me during that time. Uh, I was at a a mission fair in uh, Little Presbyterian Church in Georgetown, Texas, and talking with a guy from Wycliffe Bible Translators. And we had friends in Wycliffe, people that we were personally uh, sending a check to every month to support. And after catching up and comparing notes with each other, he said, you seem to know a lot about Bible translation. Have you ever thought about joining us? I said, yeah, I've thought about a lot of times, but I know I'm not that good at language. I did four years of Russian and still only spoke like people that did a semester's worth. And I did Spanish and, you know, I love language, but I, I'm no good with it. And he said, well, what do you do? And I, you know, gave him the quick capsule summary of what I was doing with computers and technology. And he wasn't just polite listening. He about jumped over the table and said, do you realize we need people with computer skills in Bible translation right now worse than we need linguists? And it's the first time I'd ever heard that. And that set us on a path where myself, my wife, my four children joined Wycliffe Bible Translators and made our way to Ethiopia, where we served Bible translation teams uh, with computers. I'm now with the seed company. I've been with the seed company for 15 years. Uh, The reality is that uh, the technology is making a huge difference and continues to. You think of anything that we do in life how would we do it if technology didn't exist? The same is true for Bible translation, that the tools of technology help us get things done in a way that wasn't possible before. And it's one of the reasons, it's a minor reason compared to the work of God through his people empowered by the Holy Spirit. But it's one of the reasons why we see more Bible translation happening in our generation than any prior generation of the church, more languages that scripture is going into on our watch. Something unique is happening in the history of the church today. I would say something unique, I would say something is unique is happening in the history of the world that, and, and I just recently opened my eyes to see what's going on as I've had an opportunity. For me, it started as I was looking for opportunity to get a couple of English Bibles onto are through the Word app, and I, I ended up at a uh, at a summit at a meeting that was for the Digital Bible Library, and and suddenly was hearing stories. And this is the reason I'm I'm recording this series is the opportunity to tell the world the story, and the story is that th- there are nearly seven thousand languages in the world. Nothing, no written text, no no message, no communication has ever been translated into every language in the world. Nothing's come close most of the most famous texts we might hear, if something reaches in the hundreds of languages, that's pretty phenomenal. But nothing reaches into the thousands, except now the Bible reaches into the thousands. But we're still not close to the 7,000 language, but the rate of Bible translation has grown so quickly over the last few years, it absolutely blows me away. And to know that we are within some projections possibility that the Bible could be translated into every language in the world and that it could happen in our lifetime and technology plays a a huge role. Uh, Give me some numbers, Uh, share with some numbers so that uh, our audience understands the the state of Bible translation, the need for Bible translation around the world. So first of all, I, I talk about my own culture, my language, English, which I speak fairly well, others speak better. We've got over 400 versions of the Bible in English. So we're wealthy when it comes to different ways of interacting with Scripture. Of that nearly 7,000 languages that, uh, that you highlighted, uh, when you think of a whole Bible, there are less than 500 of those languages that have the entire counsel of God in their language. Out of that 7,000, there are about 1,700 that have nothing not a single known shred of scripture in that language. Uh, Now that seems like a big number, 
but that number was a lot bigger 20, 30 years ago. And like you said, Chris, we, we see that God's doing something unique through his global church, through the body. You know, we talked about the local church that was involved in this particular project. We talk about Westerners coming over and helping with the work. Uh, there's the broader church in that country that's uh, providing resources and uh, human capacity and skill sets to help with it. It's a real expression of, of Christ's body uh, getting this work done. And it's entirely possible that in our lifetime, we would see all the languages have something and the major languages have the, the full scripture. Which is phenomenal. Yeah. It's absolutely <laughs> mind-blowing to me that there could be a single phrase, a sentence that, that every language in the world has that. Now, there's, of course, a next step of distribution, of getting it into the hands, the ears, and the hearts of, of the, those people. But uh, those two works are, are, are happening hand-in-hand. Hand. Those are, are different expressions, of course, of the body of Christ and giftings of the body of Christ working together. And that's part of what I hope is, is coming through this series as we hear multiple perspectives on uh, areas that. But, but as, we, uh, as we talk about this particular perspective of translation, I've got to pause here a moment, and we're going to change gears. And every soul podcast, we've got to have a theology throwdown. Now, uh, Randall, this is new for you, but, uh, but I gave you a little bit of prep. So, but to remind our, our audience, there are some rules of theology throwdown. And though Brad is not here to red card me, I, uh, I, I will remind Brad uh, himself of the rules as well. Brad, I know you're going to want to red card me. I always go over time. <laughs> so the, the basic rules, uh, the, there, are, there are some holds barred here. You got to give your verse in uh, answer to the question and, uh, and talk about a little bit. You get a red card from, uh, from long distance from Brad if you, uh, if you use that verse out of context or if you go over time on your turn. We got to have some balance here because, uh, of course, grace is our, our overriding rule. All right, I'm going to give the question for our theology throwdown. Our question is, uh, is about the word on words. The word meaning the Bible. What does the Bible have to say about the words that we choose? And the question, what are the Bible's own guidelines on translation? What biblical guidelines guide how we go about translating the word? So, Randall, I'm going to let you give the first answer. Yeah, so the first answer is actually I'm going to represent what comes into most people's mind when they think of translation, and then I, I'm going to counterpoint it. Uh, Brad, be nice to me. Uh, in Revelation 22:19, it says, and if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. And that puts the fear of God into us around doing translation right. Uh, so that's my first all right, I'm going to balance that one with Colossians 4, 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. The Bible itself tells us that our words should be gracious. So the words chosen, and this goes into Bible translation importantly, and also for, for my job, I'm not a translator, but I am a speaker of God's word, an explainer of God's word, and this is my number one prayer each time I explain the word of God. Lord, let it come through with grace and truth. I want it to be accurate, but words have more than meaning. They have feeling, and a word can feel arrogant or a word can feel gracious. And I want the words to be gracious. So the word that you select can't just capture the right meaning. It's got to be the right one that carries the feeling that God wants. And God wants to communicate grace. All right. What else do you have for us? Yeah. So that, that reminds me, and thanks for the uh, injection of grace against the fear of God. Uh, it reminds me of the model of grace that we have. Uh, John 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And as John continues his introduction into the life of, of the word among us, uh, in verse 14, John says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And when we approach Bible translation, one, one of the things we have to recognize is that 
translation of scripture is an incarnational work. It is taking something that's from the outside and bringing it inside of a culture of a language in a way that communicates effectively to the heart. And that's a difficult lesson for us to get across to translation teams is it's actually more important to communicate well than to do a literal translation word by word, carefully making sure nothing is left out. We want it to be accurate and clear, no doubt. And we don't want to leave anything out, but it's the meaning of scripture that makes a difference in people's hearts. And now I'm, I'm pretty sure you're going to ruffle some feathers with that one because there are those out there who would say, I want the literal meaning. And English is, of course, a translation. The English Bible that we have is not the original Bible. And so we have various options. And each option that we have in English has a varied form of, uh, of take, a perspective on the purpose of Bible translation. And some will, will say we have the more literal word-for-word -word translation. And a lot of people will gravitate towards that saying, I want to know literally what God had to say. But for to that, I would say that, that sentences mean more than their individual words. Paragraphs mean more than their individual sentences. Communication is more than the sum of its parts. And just to, as a, to give a little color to that and understanding, I always like to, to refer to, to Drax, you know, the, the big guy from Guardians of the Galaxy. He is, he is funny because he takes every word literally. And it's funny when you do that because sentences don't mean literally word by word what they say. So Drax is a, a comical character and a great one. He's one of my favorites because he takes things literally. But all of us know when we communicate that we understand there's more to communication than a word by word understanding. And that has to be taken into account when translating the Bible. Okay, I'm actually... I, I should be red carded right now because I commented too much on yours. Brad's not here. So I'm going to give my verse. Uh, Nehemiah 8.8. 8, this is a foundational verse for my heart, for through the word, for, uh, for all the guys who I teach to teach the word. Nehemiah 8.8. 8, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. And understanding is the goal of communicating the Bible. And sometimes that takes a little explaining. Sometimes that takes a little care with your, your art of wordcraft to make sure it's the meaning that comes through and that the hearer will understand what God intended. And that, that's, that takes, it's not an impossible thing, but it takes some care and precision, which is why the, the art of translation of the Bible is not simply something that, that Google can, can handle for us with giving us a word by word, but, uh, but it takes some, some love. But I will balance that with one last verse here, with one last verse from 1 Peter 4.11. And I know Brad would card me again for, uh, for two verses in a row, but I'm in charge for that. So First uh, Peter 4.11, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. And I remember the first time I read that thinking, maybe that means you should use a deeper voice. <laughs> but, but actually, I would say that it means respect what, what your job is. If you're going to teach the word, if you're going to translate the word, respect that they are, those words came from God. And so they should represent God's nature and God's character, which is grace and which is truth. Well, I'm going to close out Theology Throwdown, and I want to move, that actually transitions us really well to our last subject, our last thing to talk about. I want to get into what you do now. You've done a lot of things over the years in the world of translation and the world of technology, but tell me a little more about what the Seed Company does in terms of oral-to-oral -oral translation and how technology plays into that. Yeah, oral Bible translation is something that's actually been going on for a long time, but we're only now starting to recognize it and be intentional about cultivating it. Uh, so many of, of the language communities that we have in our world would be, be what we call oral preference communicators, which means that uh, in most functions where you use language, spoken word is going to prevail overwritten word or visual with that reality so many of the, the the languages that don't have scripture also don't have an alphabet uh, what we call an orthography they don't have a writing system so one of the jobs if you're going to have a written text is to develop that orthography you also need people who can read and write with that orthography 
Um, and so the issue of being able to read scripture can sometimes be a significant barrier for people to being able to interact with the living God who reveals himself through scripture. And so audio recordings of scripture help, but even better is to do an oral approach to the translation of scripture that allows people who uh, don't have reading and writing skills, but know the language quite well to be involved in the translation work, the masters of the language to be the ones who are doing the translating. It also results in a much more natural approach to communication because in the process of oral communication, we often take something inside, we internalize it in a way that we become an insider to a story, so to speak, you know, for, for a thought that's being uh, communicated in scripture. And in doing that, when we then translate into our own language, we do it in a way as though we're telling it as a witness because we've gotten inside of it. And that means that if the language that we're coming from has a different grammatical structure, um, you know, a, a difference in the way we do subject verb, a difference in how you introduce somebody into the story. Do you have to do it before the story starts or, or not? A lot of those issues that Western linguists have to study a language to figure out and then start making things right. Uh, someone who is an oral communicator in the language will naturally make those those transitions that are appropriate without having to go through all the linguistic analysis. And so oral Bible translation is another way of doing translation that is not going to replace the good written translation we've done in the past and borrows a lot of principles and practices that ensure that the translation is going to be trustworthy in the language that it's going into but it's more appropriate to the audience and results in, a, 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 going back to your Bible throwdown, a communication of scripture that is more natural and communicative in that language. And the end result then is understanding. It's one of my favorite words in the Bible and uh, one of my favorite word pictures. I remember years ago, I was reading through Nehemiah 8 and I was preparing to, to teach it, which is one of my throwdown verses. And it repeats the word understanding multiple times. And I, I just kind of sat back and wondered, I wonder where the word understanding comes from in English. Like, does it mean standing under something? And I kind of pictured a mechanic getting under a car and so oh, I understand this now. But I, I looked up the, whatever that word is for where words come from, entomology, etymology. etymology. <laughs> and, uh, and I looked at the etymology of understanding and it, it, mean, it comes from a word that meant to stand in the midst of something. Mm. So that when, when, you, when you see something from afar, when you see something on the news, you, you kind of get it. When you read about something in, a, in an article, you, you kind of get it, but you don't understand until you're right there in the midst of it. And God's word is meant to be understood. God wants us to stand in the midst of his words. And in the process of translation, that has to come through to be there in the midst and to see your life, yourself in the midst of God's grace in his words is a powerful experience. And, uh, and speaking of which, I want to bring us back a bit to, uh, to Bible translation and back to, if, uh, if we can get back to it, the story of the, uh, the angry Jesus, not actual Jesus, but the, the man be voicing Jesus who was standing there in the midst of, of God's word, but, uh, was angry. But can we get back to the story? Is there yeah. more to this that we can tell? Yeah, we can, but I've got to do a quick sidebar first and sure. you can edit this as you need to. Uh, so what you just described uh, goes back to that verse in John. When Jesus walked the earth, he spoke Aramaic. He practiced the customs of the culture that he was in. And people got a picture of God that was up close and personal. And if we do a good job of translation, that's what happens. The God of Scripture is not a foreign God. It's a God who has come into my culture, my people. Yeah, so let's get back to angry Jesus. Uh, so they, they gave him the role. Uh, just backpedaling a little bit, 
leading up to this, the months leading up to, to this moment of, of crisis in this family, uh, not only was there division between the husband and wife over the work that was happening in translation, the husband was starting to do some seeking of his own. And in the country where he lived, the majority religion, he could find podcasts, cassette tapes of that majority religion, and he was starting to investigate it. It was not the language, or excuse me, not the religion of his birth. On his identity card, he was a Christian, but he was investigating a faith move to this other religion and, and never had an authentic exposure to Christian. That's just his birthright in this country. So, you know, he agrees to be Jesus. He's getting some compensation coming into the family as a result of it, uh, working long days, uh, and getting into the, the dramatization for this film of The Voice. About a third of the way through, he went to the pastor similar to the way his wife had and said, I want to follow this Jesus. And he was baptized in the church. Jesus' film was dubbed. It's been made available in this language. Uh, the church has rallied around it. And the project where Luke translation and text had been sidelined, said you need a stronger team in order to even do translation of this language. Through doing the Jesus film, through God's work in this family, uh, they said, we think we've got a prospect of a team and we can go on with translation. We're going to use an oral approach to it. So the next time I saw this woman was August of, of that year. So after the Jesus film been distributed, the church is excited about what's happening with it and when we launched the oral approach to translation for her she's so relieved because they had problems with the writing system of the language and people stumbling over it because they're not used to reading and writing the language they're used to speaking it and so the oral approach was a relief to her but what was so special for me was seeing this couple a woman that had been close to exhaustion and uh, you know somewhat despairing when I'd seen her the November before now alive with energy and her husband next to her and the gentle interaction that takes place between them no hint of division when when we've asked this team what has been one of the benefits of uh, being involved in this project you know everybody says being able to get God's word into my language, you know, it's a huge privilege. But this couple is able to say with complete honesty, I've gotten to know God and I've come to peace in my family through interaction with scripture. That's a beautiful story. <laughs> I, I, I love it. God's word can't help. You can't help but be affected by God's word as, as you're on the side of it, unless you're really hard in your heart. But if you've got a tender heart and you let God's word in, it's going to affect the way you love God and the way that you love each other, because that's what God—that's what the Word is about. Well, I want to find out the ability to forgive. Yeah, the the ability to to forgive and heal. God's Word brings healing. Now, I, I want to I want our listeners to find out how do they can find out more about the the seed company and uh, and more about Bible translation as a whole. As we've heard through all of these conversations, the seed company plays a role, but there. There's a movement that's happening not only because of technology, but also because partnership is happening between organizations, including the seed company, in a way that is is unprecedented and is really making a, a phenomenal difference in fast forwarding and, and speeding up the process of, of getting Bible translation happening. So tell us where we can find a little more information about that before we close out our stories. As you mentioned, we're here for a, a conference put on by every tribe, every nation, uh, and they are bringing together an association of organizations who are focused on making scripture available, hopefully in our lifetime, to the remaining languages. And uh, the collaboration, uh, the uh, intentionality around that between organizations, like you said, is unprecedented. And Seed Company is privileged to be a part of that. Uh, so E10 has an, a public expression called Illuminations. So Illumination, but with a capital N because of the nations being the inheritance of the sun. 
and our commission to reach the nations. Um, so illuminations.org is a place that people can go to to uh, find out about the state of translation and to see some opportunities to partner with translation. I think it's illuminations.bible. Either way. Okay. They both work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they both work. Um, we uh, Seed Company, um, we got our start back in the 90s. We're a latecomer to Bible translation. We're, we were an upstart organization. And it really came out of the uh, recognition that in order to get God's global church involved in translation in a a way that was sustainable, we needed a different way of approaching funding. And there was a unique intersection of business-minded people who have resources but are also discipled in their walk with the Lord and want to be intentional about how those resources affect mission uh, with those national colleagues closest to the languages that need to be translated who can shoulder the work but they don't have an expression uh, like i do in my church here in america and so seed company connects people who want to be a part of what god's doing in remote places through bible translation with those language teams by resourcing i myself have been you know as i mentioned been with seed company for 15 years um I'm actually a member of Wycliffe Bible Translators, assigned to Seed Company as my place to do good work for Bible translation. And for people that are considering a, a career in Bible translation, uh, there are diverse skill sets that God is using today. And organizations like the Seed Company have spots, Wycliffe Bible Translators has spots. Uh, there are any number of ways that we can get in on what God's doing and have our personal story about involvement in this unique work that's happening in our generation. The unique work that is happening, and truly mind-blowing, it truly, we are, we will be eyewitnesses and eyewitnesses of something happening right now among us that has never happened before. The work that's happening right now, I see four major causes that, that are, are coming. We talked about technology, and of course technology is, is speeding up everything. So many things are moving forward, but it's not just technology happening. You also talked about methodology. The methodology of, of Bible translation is making it possible to be more effective, more accurate, and, uh, and, more, and speeding up, the, the and reaching more, more languages. And more, inclusive. and more inclusive because the methods allow more people to be involved in the work of translation with varying education levels, with varying levels of literacy, it's becoming more body now. So that methodology also couples with philanthropy and unity. And and I have to say this, philanthropy, I have been very impressed with my philanthropy, I mean giving. I've been so impressed by the effect that philanthropy has had on the mission not just in a way that dollars are needed to translate verses because it is work and it costs money and people are paid for it, but philanthropy has changed the way that Bible translation happens in that generosity has stepped in. And what I've seen here at at Every Tribe, Every Nation, at the Summit, of what I've seen among the, the various groups, that generosity has affected the way that we go about translation. Generosity is a beautiful thing. Generosity is part of being remade in God's image. And as people get generous, and and I've seen major donors get generous, but I've also seen individuals get generous, and and I've seen and witnessed organizations become generous with their resources, with with their mission. And all of that generosity, generosity really breeds unity. And the unity is what I, above all, the unity in the body of Christ and I, when I come to, to each of these summits, when I come to the E10 summit, I meet people across denominational lines, across cultural lines, coming from around the world, the body of Christ coming together. It's a beautiful thing when, when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. Yeah, yeah. And it gets a whole lot done. Well, 
to find out more, I want to encourage you again to, to go to illuminations.org or illuminations.bible about how you can give $35 to translate a single verse into a single language and also find out more about SIL, about the, the Seed Company, about Wycliffe. These are various Bible translation organizations. Deaf Bible Society is a fantastic translator into to multiple, many uh, languages in sign language. It was a beautiful work. Uh, a pioneer Bible translators. I'm, I'm going to miss some here, but there are many wonderful works that are part of this. But uh, but let's close out by, uh, by finishing up the story. You had told me earlier uh, that there was more to, to this story that involves a, a family that is part of Seed Company to, to kind of round out the, the story uh, about this language translation and about angry Jesus, who is now nice Jesus. Now, Jesus was nice the whole time, but, <laughs> but the guy playing his voice got a lot nicer. It happens that the, uh, the person who is ensuring the quality of the translation that's being done by this team, some, a role that we call a translation consultant, uh, is a young woman who grew up as a missionary kid in this same country. Her parents in the 70s joined Wycliffe Bible Translators and carried the family over. Well, some of the children were actually born in the country. Uh, and they did the thing that most of us think about what you described earlier, moved into the village, started learning the language, uh, making friendships, figuring out how to navigate life in that unique village setting, uh, and uh, made a lot of headway towards completing a New Testament in that language and later saw uh, national colleagues complete it. So she's the translation consultant now, uh, second generation. Her dad, also a translation consultant, is the facilitator, the one that brought this language project together in the five different languages in partnership with, in partnership with a Bible translation organization that's indigenous in that country. And he's been instrumental in coming up with strategies for uh, raising up local talent. So not only has he and his daughter become a translation consultant, he's seen multiple national colleagues who started as translators in remote places, uh, now educated and quite competent as uh, translation consultants in this, in this country. Uh, so it, it, it's, a, it's a unique picture of how God can take uh, an individual family and weave them into the, the life of what he's doing in a, in a local situation. Uh, this family, uh, you know, if, if I were to tally up, uh, are, are currently involved in uh, 12 different languages in the country. Uh, and uh, it's also worth noting that this man uh, at one time uh, was on our executive leadership team with Seed Company. And once he completed that term of service, uh, he stepped down and said, I want to invest in raising up uh, colleagues in, in the country who can do the work better than we can from afar. That's a great story, and I'm going to have to leave us there. Randall Lemley, thank you very much for, uh, for joining us on the Soul Podcast. To all of our listeners, I really want to encourage you to get involved. The, the picture that, that Randall shared with us there about one family and, and how God weaved them together as part of the story of Bible translation, I hope you see the larger story of one family in Christ that is from all over the world, west, east, north, and south, God bringing together one family to bring his, his one beautiful word to, uh, to the whole world, where the word can become flesh for all of us. So I'll leave you with one snapshot, uh, and literally a snapshot, uh, in, in one of the, the uh, devotions that we had with this team, showed a picture from the translation consultant's early life of her in the village and her best friend that she played with. And in this same translation project, one is now a translation consultant who flies in from America to participate in this work. And her best friend is now a translation consultant also. And that's it for the Soul Podcast. Thanks so much for listening to us. It's a muddy world out there. Let your footprint be grace. That's all for the Soul Podcast, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the story. Join us next time as the conversation continues. You can subscribe wherever great podcasts are found. 
and you can find every episode at soulpodcast.com. That's S-O-L-E podcast.com. The Soul Podcast is a production of Through the Word. If you like this podcast, you're going to love Through the Word with audio guides for every chapter in the Bible. Join us for an epic journey through the entire Bible and understand the Bible in just 10 minutes a day. Get the app free at throughtheword.org. Thanks, everyone. Our producer is Brad Hornback. Audio production by Kira Joy. Video by Michael Kincaid. Audio editing by Daisy Short. On behalf of the whole team at The Soul Podcast, thanks for joining us. You heard the story, now go talk about it. Share a post, tell a friend, start a conversation, and we'll see you in the next one. You've got to hear that story.